Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the second hour of Ghost Chronicles Radio. Uh, I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable, but you know all that. And with me is my lovely co-host, the Blanche Bombshell herself, Ann Kerrigan. Hi, everybody. Hope you're doing well tonight on this beautiful summer night. It is. First day of summer, right? No. No. Oh, tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? I think it's tomorrow. Day late, jolly short. That's me. Whatever. It's close. <laughs> it's so, nice. so joining me, uh, joining us tonight is uh, someone who has uh, written an interesting book. Um, as, as you know, I am uh, very much a, a lover of lighthouses. I'm, I'm a member of the Friends oh, of yes. Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse Board, which was the former chairman, and have investigated tons of lighthouses uh with my paranormal group so joining us tonight is and i did not know this is the author of uh haunted michigan lighthouse diana higgs stampler i think i said that right diana are you there yes and you did pronounce it correctly thank you Yay! Where's the bell? We got to ring that off the bell. It's I never get never like, get anybody. A name round right. of applause for you for getting Yay. that German name right. Highly uh, unusual that he got it right. <laughs> very so. highly unusual. <laughs> awesome though. And we we want to thank you for joining us today. Um, what I do have your book in front of me, and one of the things just on the back of the cover is is intriguing in itself that Michigan has more than a hundred and twenty lighthouses more than any other state wow i mean we also have more miles of freshwater coastline than any other state so i guess it kind of comes hand in hand with that i mean Mm -hmm. most people don't know i mean obviously you know texas and alaska and and florida and some other states have lots of shoreline of of uh ocean shoreline but here in the great lakes region michigan leads with the freshwater coastline in the united states wow you know that's one thing we really i think a lot of people don't associate uh lighthouses with freshwater uh bodies of freshwater they always think of the ocean you know the the iconic lighthouse out on the the islands and and on the coast or the rocky craggy coast but you have all those things in michigan's lake michigan well, and it's funny because those of us here in the Great Lakes region don't really think about the ocean coastlines and the lighthouse. <laughs> right. So it's kind of interesting how it goes, you know, back and forth in that. You know, we have five Great Lakes here in our region, uh, Huron, Ontario, Michigan, Erie, and Lake Superior. Michigan touches four of the five Great Lakes. Wow. And, you know, with that comes, you know, the early history, our earliest lighthouse in Michigan, 1825, before Michigan was ever a state. Wow. So it's it's a pretty big deal here in, in our region. We are the Great Lakes State, of course, because of all these great things. Right. Well, 
1825 is nice, but uh, Portsmouth Lighthouse just <laughs> celebrated its 250th birthday. It's the yeah. second oldest lighthouse north of Boston. Well, and you look at some of the earliest lighthouses in the United States, you get a lot of them in um, along the Can- Canadian border in areas, mm-hmm. you know, we have Gibraltar, in, which is now Toronto. Sorry, I am outside in beautiful Petoskey, Michigan, looking over Grand Traverse Bay and two oh, lighthouses wow. within my view. Um, so I thought it would be great, you know, atmosphere to be outside this evening for this presentation. Um, uh-huh. But, um, you know, we have all of these great lighthouses in this area because you, you, you had the early French explorers. You had mm-hmm. the early um, fur trade industry, Mackinac Island, uh, Sault Ste. Marie, St. Ignace, all of these areas celebrating over 300 years of history before Michigan ever became a state. And, you know, Fort Gratiot Lighthouse is that earliest one, 1825, down in Port Huron, just north of Detroit. And that really kicked off the history of lighthouses here in the state of Michigan. Wow. I have relatives who live in Chicago. And what, I'm not sure, is that Lake Michigan? Um, that I don't know. Is, yep, that's Lake Michigan. So a couple lighthouses down in the Chicago area as well. Mm-hmm. And I know when you stand and you, and you look out, I mean, it, it looks like an ocean. It doesn't look oh, like a lake. Is, isn't it, it like crazy? An ocean. <laughs> it's like over 65 miles across at its widest point. Now about, uh, gosh, let me think. Back in about 12 years ago, I had some visitors from the Middle East come to Michigan. And they, I took them to Lake Michigan. Of course, if you're going to bring people to from another country to Michigan, you take them to the Lake Michigan shoreline. And they looked across and they said, "What ocean is this?" Because they're used to the they're used to the Dead Sea, you know, which is only 25 miles across. We're 60 plus miles in oh Michigan. And That's he amazing. went in and he goes, "What ocean?" I said, "No, no, no. It's not an ocean. It's fresh water." And it's three to four times what you have in your country. And he was blown away by that. <laughs> not, a, not to mention the sand dunes and the beaches and everything else that was there. I mean, I think a lot of Michigan, Michiganders and, and Midwesterners, Midwesterners around the Great Lakes take it for granted mm-hmm. that we have all of these beautiful freshwater coastlines and right. and the sugar sand beaches and and i live on an area uh an area known as walloon lake our lake in the middle of summer looks like the caribbean oh wow. oh wow nice and it's just beautiful turquoise and this just even this morning i'm making my coffee this morning looking out over this and going wow that freshwater small inland lake northern michigan mm. spectacular now yeah, that's well you know in that kid rock song it's summertime in northern <laughs> Michigan, right? And 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 honestly, he wrote that about the area where I'm sitting right now. He oh, is really? Often, That's great. He he comes up to, so I live in Char, uh, just outside of Charlevoix, Walloon Lake, which is where Ernest Hemingway is noted to be from. But Charlevoix, Petoskey, Harbor Springs, that's where Kid Rock, his boat, I will, a month from now, I'll guarantee you, I'll walk out there and, and the boat that he's on will be sitting out in the bay. Oh, and we'll bump funny. into him at some local local ah. bar. It's that cool. 
right? <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, it just popped into my head when you were talking about that. And I'm like, oh, that's one of the lines. It's, you know, it's sometime in it's funny. Michigan. We, and I'm like, we drive you down don't the- think about that as a beach. At least I don't. Yeah. And, it, and it is, I mean, there's, I mean, there's, everything has, it has its own perks. You know, you guys, if you're in the southern part of the U.S., you've got warmer temperatures, you've got the beautiful palm trees and whatever. But our beaches up here, we might only have them for three months of the year. But they are phenomenal. And if you have a little cut on your leg when you walk in into the water, you're not going to be the pain of the salt water. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> it oh is my beautiful. Goodness. But what about the ghosts, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, it, I am, I'm, I'm fortunate to have literally lived my entire life within an hour's drive of the Great Lakes. But they say in Michigan... You're always within 80 minutes, 80 miles of a Great Lake. Wow. How awesome is that? That's very cool. So, Diana, why do you think that lighthouses are always associated with hauntings? I mean, it seems like every lighthouse has a ghost story. Well, you know, in, and I've been researching these lights for over 20, 25 years now. And mm-hmm. I think one of the things that comes true and and you see when you research lighthouse keepers it's not just a job it's not like you're just punching a time clock at walmart or the five and dime or a restaurant or whatever when you commit to being a lighthouse keeper you're committing to a lifetime profession Mm -hmm. and so you're there you're that's your home that's your job your family's there it's often a very uh, family business because you have your your spouse and your children helping out in that, and you're making a lifetime commitment to that in most cases. So when you pass away, as many of our lighthouse keepers, particularly here in Michigan, have done, some of them serving 30, 40 plus years, if that's all you've ever known, when your time comes to leave this earth and go to another world, I think those spirits are just as dedicated and drawn to that service. It's a service industry, you know, kind of like police and fire and rescue. You know, you're there to protect and serve. And I think that that is a different thing. It's not just a job. It's it's a calling. And I think right. that's why we see so much of it in lighthouses, not just the haunted lights of Michigan, but across the world. You know, I've traveled internationally, and, and, and you get those same stories in other countries, even. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Was... Now, I noticed that uh, you not only did uh, lighthouses in Michigan, but you also did Lake Superior and Lake Huron as well. Is, how did you choose the lighthouses that you have in your book? So, with the over 125 lights in Michigan, about 40 to 50 of them have ghost stories. So all of our Great Lakes have them. It was really great working with the folks at the History Press and Arcadia Publishing because they let me choose. Mm -hmm. So when I picked, first of all, I picked 13 because seriously, if you're going to talk about haunted stuff, (laughs) what number do you need to have, right? 13. I could have added a couple more chapters, but it wouldn't nearly have been as exciting. So I picked the stories that were geographically spread out. I wanted to encompass as many regions as I could, but also those that had the best stories, the best photographs, 
Um, news, I, I'm a huge fan of newspapers.com and going in and searching for old newspaper articles. Oh, yeah. About oh. these keepers. Because um, I'm a, his- I mean, the book itself is really only about 35% ghost story and about 65% historical um, history on the lights and the regions but and you, whatnot. You can't have you can't have a ghost story without the history, right? Exactly. You know, it, you got to have the backstory and why they were there right. and why the lighthouses were built in the first place. And so, um, I had about twenty. I, I out of the forty five, I narrowed it to twenty. And then I picked the 13 that really had what I felt were the best stories, um, the best communities to embrace those stories. Because interestingly enough, I don't know if you guys see this in your world, um, even though uh, paranormal tourism is on an all-time high globally, (laughs) there are certain places that go, you know, we're not quite ready to embrace our ghostly stories. Right, <laughs> and, and I had a couple lighthouses that basically emailed me and said, "Do not include us. Ooh. We do not promote that we are haunted." Yet mm-hmm. I've written about yeah. them for ten years. They're in other books. They're in other stories, but there are certain people that just don't want to uh, acknowledge mm-hmm. the the paranormal activity, which surprises me. Given you know, literally when when my boyfriend and I travel, when my kids and I travel. We're going, what hotel can we stay at that's haunted? What restaurant can we go to that's haunted? What place? Like, we plan our tours around paranormal. And we're not alone. We're not alone. You Mm -hmm. look at how many places. You can go to England and go to a Jack the Ripper tour. You can go stay at the Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast. You can go to all these haunted places. You can stay at haunted tours in Key West and Chicago and everywhere. Mm -hmm. But when you get these places that all of a sudden are scared to tell their ghost stories, and that to me is just so strange because it draws more people than it deters. Right. Right. Don't you, don't you see that so. as well? You know, you know, when I first started this 20 years ago is that, you know, a lot of people were reluctant to, to talk about their ghost stories. And however, because of the, the rise in the TV shows and so forth, the, the, and they realized that, yeah, it does promote tourism, but some places, even though uh, it might promote tourism, they affect. They think it affects their reputation. In other words, it's not the image that they're trying to portray. So that's perhaps why they don't uh, embrace them. And and I agree. You know, it's funny because they'll go in and say, "Well, you know, we've lost three or four tour groups that won't cause come because we're haunted." I'm like, "But you can't have 24 that will come because you are." Right. Like, figure out how to balance it out because literally, we sit out not not so much this time of year when we're outside and enjoying Northern Michigan, but in the winter, we are camped out watching every ghost series that's out there, <laughs> and we're planning our tours. Like our our summer trip this year ends for, goes from Michigan and ends in Salem, Massachusetts at the witch trials. Ah, there you go. With <laughs> all these sites in between, and and I uh, know we're not woods. alone because we, right? you know. Pe- People are going everywhere. There's, they wouldn't have the Jack the Ripper tour, the Boston Strangler tour, the the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast if people weren't embracing it. Mm-hmm. And I when think right with, now, when you're up in this area, you know, Diana, you should contact me, and I can get you a tour of uh, Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse. Ah, there, you well, go. there we go. Mm-hmm. I need to come visit you guys. It's been a while since I've been down in the southern region, but you know, I think. I think people are more open to it now 
more than ever before. Mm-hmm. You yes, know, I agree. and I agree. it's not to say you need to fabricate the story to bring people in, but if you have a history of these types of stories, embrace them, mm-hmm. do the research, tell mm-hmm. the story, and invite people in to experience it for themselves. You know, one of the things I say when I give my presentations and I talk about my book is I'm not here to tell you sh- you should believe in ghosts or not. I've had experiences. My daughter's had experiences. My friends have. That's not to say everybody does. I'm not to say you need to or you must, but be open to it mm-hmm. and embrace the history of it all. So what got you started down this path of the haunted lighthouses? Or the paranormal in general, actually. <laughs> well, they're two different stories. So um, lighthouses, I mean, I grew up within an hour of lighthouses uh, as, a, as a high schooler. So when we would have our, you know, senior skip days and all of those days where we would not go to school, we would go to mm-hmm. the beach and there were lighthouses there. And I, and I think I kind of knew about them and over time kind of embraced. And once I learned the history of them to Michigan, that was the draw on the historical part. But my daughter, who is uh, going to be 29 this year, she had her first ghost encounter at the age of four. And she had it at a restaurant we were at, and a restaurant that my parents managed when I was in middle school. And I remember them telling me in middle school about the ghosts at this place. So when my daughter, on one of her first visits to this same building, came back and told me the stories that my parents told me 20 years earlier, Mm -hmm. you know, it stuck. And (laughs) as a parent, you know, I wanted to believe in my child and, you know, let her express her feelings and her beliefs and whatnot. And she had a lot of these encounters as a younger child. They've decreased as she's gotten older. But I think, you know, that natural history of lighthouses and then her introduction of those ghost stories left me open to believe that this is possible. And then as I started doing research, not just lighthouses, but other historic structures in Michigan and having these little encounters here and there, um, it, it made me believe that, you know, it's, it's possible, you know, I don't have definitive proof and I'm not here to say, you know, a thousand percent that this happens, but I know it's what I've experienced. I know what my children have experienced. I know what I've been with friends who had these experiences. And, you know, one of the ex- examples I give to people, I've never seen a million dollars, but I know it exists. <laughs> right. So I even though I've never them. seen a ghost, <laughs> I've heard them. I've had things. So I believe they exist. Mm. So, you know, would you like to share one of your experiences that, that, uh, made an impression on you? So it's interesting. As I was writing Michigan's Haunted Lighthouses, and I had researched and and, and investigated, quote-unquote, several of the lights in the book prior, waiting for that grand moment, that beautiful (laughs) paranormal experience, right, that we all dream of, nothing. (laughs) I turned the manuscript in, Labor Day weekend of 2018, And just before Halloween, we go to Fort Gratiot, which ironically is that very first lighthouse in Michigan, 1825. And they have a a paranormal group that has a lease on the property. And so every October, they bring the public in and you kind of go from four or five different buildings on premise and they do investigations. And it is just like you see Zach Baggins doing. You've got all of the (laughs) gadgets and all of the gear and you're just giddy. 
right? Because you're playing with a spirit box and all of these other things. So we get out to this light and uh, we go through our different things. And we, from the onset, not so much me, my boyfriend was the biggest one. We take, we, you know, of course, when you show up at the lighthouse, the first thing you do is take a picture of the lighthouse, right? right. So I take a couple of pictures. It's a cloudy night. It's almost rainy. And later on, we're in the hotel later, and we look at all of his pictures are upside down, <laughs> which is the first first weird thing. I'm like, seriously, dude, were you like standing on your head? What, was your phone upside down? Like, why are your pictures all upside down? Every He took like three, the only three pictures he took of the light were upside down, the ones before and the ones after all the right way. So that's the first weird thing. Then as we make our way around, we get, you know, strange um, flashlight activity where you ask the questions and the flashlight comes on and off. We have the spirit box giving us words and answers and things like that. Our final place of the night, we're inside the actual lighthouse tower, which is not attached to the light or to the house. It's, it's a, um, I don't know, about 25 yards from the house. Standalone, yeah. And, and I'm sitting on the floor inside the entryway and I'm recording uh, flashlight activity. He goes, I'm going to go up to the top of the tower. I'm like, you go for it because, you know, that's like 120 steps and that's way too much for me to deal with tonight. <laughs> so he goes to the top of the tower. And, of course, the obligatory photo is the photo down the stairs, right? You always have right, to take, right. take a picture down the spiral stairs. Either and, down or up. They, just, mm-hmm. they suddenly take it up, yeah. too. So he takes that. He comes back. He takes a few others. Again, we're sitting in the hotel later. And he takes this picture down the spiral staircase. And, he, and then he's... The next photo he takes, and I'm like, you know, 50 photos everywhere I go. He's like one and done. Takes one, yeah. comes down, and he takes the picture. He's actually standing behind the spiral stairs, looking out toward this one window and the brick wall of the tower, right? Mm-hmm. We look at the photo later. I'm like, dude, how do you get inside the, the tower? So I see the stairs. I see the brick. I see the window. But his picture also picks up the grass, the sidewalk, and the lamppost, and the buildings outside. Huh. Seriously, that's, I will send this to you ab- later for you to review because it's crazy. I'm like, how do you get bizarre. a picture inside and outside at the same time? If you're shooting old school film, maybe you get a double exposure, but he didn't take a picture mm-hmm. outside. And if that's... you line it up, like we have these windows, which were of the fog signal building, which were right. exactly where the fog signal building was if you'd have blown out the tower. <laughs> That's It weird. is so crazy. Wow. But it, but it gets better. <laughs> the photo also shows his, sh- his left shoulder and his hand holding his photo, so f- holding his phone. So it's almost like someone took a picture of him taking the picture oh inside God. and outside at the same time. Right? That's But bizarre. guess what? It gets better. <laughs> the timestamp between uh, it gets better. Listen to this. So the timestamp because God loves digital technology and timestamps, right? The picture he took at the top, looking down the stairs, and the picture that is of question inside and outside, twenty three seconds apart. Now, can either one of you fly down a set of spiral stairs in twenty three seconds and no. go from one picture to another? No. no. Not that I know of. Right? (laughs) Unless you're a spirit, right? Like, how do you do that? I can't do anything in 23 seconds. I don't know. (laughs) Right? I mean, and this is not a short tower. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is probably 100 steps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
that's that's why I mean Portsmouth Harbor is uh, 44 steps, so that's double the size of uh, Portsmouth. Right. It's so crazy. So we got done. We sent this photograph with the details about the timestamp to like four or five paranormal groups in here here in Michigan, and nobody Mm -hmm. can explain it. Mm -hmm. It it's it's so crazy. That is really crazy. Wow. Everywhere we go, he gets all the cool paranormal activity, and I like. I don't what? get anything. So, Hello, so I guess I'm going to have to happens with me and my husband all the yeah. time. I guess I'm going to have to keep him just for that purpose. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a ghost magnet. It that's, is. That's, that's, it, he, that's what I call he just, he, I think, you know, he's just always at, I mean, we're both open to it and, and whatever, but for some reason they're drawn to him to just release all of these interesting and unexplained activities. And my husband, yeah, I get it, you know, because my, my husband's like, he'll deny it like he's the denier. And, uh, you know, oh, I don't, yeah, I don't believe in that stuff. He really does. And he's totally very, he's very sensitive. And uh, he'll deny it all day long, but he's the guy that all the stuff happens to. And I'm like, you know, you really annoy me. So I'm just not going to bring you. <laughs> right. Like, hey, I'm supposed to be the expert in this area. Why am I right. not getting all of the good stuff? Right. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. We so I'm an I'm an iPhone person, and he's like like I don't know Galaxy or something. So I'm like I don't know. I think it has to do with phone. I'm like why? Do, he's like yeah, because you have a crappy phone, and I have a good phone, and my phone likes ghosts, so I get all the good stuff. Android, yeah. <laughs> it just never Anyways. ends. But I mean, it's great. It's it's so exciting to be you know to be able to travel and have these types of experiences. Yeah. Anyways, we are coming up to the break now, so we have to take a short break. Uh, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation right here on Tojinet and Pararex Radio and whatever other fine radio show we're being blasted on. And uh, our, today's show is brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street in Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Glant Messier Family Log Rope, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts, and our very good friends on Patreon. Uh, on Ghost Chronicles Radio and Patreon. And we have been talking with Diana Higgs-Stampler, uh, author of Michigan's Haunted Lighthouses. And we'll be right back after the following messages. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the ghost box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Para-X Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. 
two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. And welcome back to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron and Ann and our special guest this evening, Diana Higgs-Stempfler, talking haunted lighthouses. Ooh. <laughs> still with us, Diana? I am still with you, overlooking beautiful uh, Little Traverse Bay in Petoskey, Michigan. Nice. Nothing gets Easy. better than this, looking over the Easy freshwater coastline. <laughs> So, I'm spoiled. I'm going to tell you, I'm spoiled here. Of, of, the, of the 13 lighthouses you uh, have in your book, uh, Michigan's Haunted Lighthouses, which is your favorite story? Oh, my goodness. Do you have children? Do you ask people what your favorite child is? You can't ask <laughs> those things. Like, I do, and I do, ha- I do have one, too. <laughs> You're not supposed to tell them that. <laughs> Unless you only have oh, one geez, child. I only got one. <laughs> yeah, oh, if it's one, you're good. It's one, you're good. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. I I think I love each of these lighthouse stories for different reasons. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the one that has a particular personal interest to me is South Manitou Island. Um, so Michigan, in northern part of Lake Michigan and Lake Huron, and then also throughout Lake Superior, we have several islands. And South Manitou Island now is part of the Sleeping Bear Dunes National Lakeshore, which was established in 1970. And they had like 200 in, 250 people that lived on the island in the 1860s and 1870s. And one of the families was the Sheridan family. So they had a farmstead. They, they did a lot of farming out in this area. And I think mm-hmm. one of the reasons that I'm drawn to this particular family and this lighthouse is that I've become friends with descendants of the family. And I think anytime you can make it personal and have that that connection where you've actually sat down and, and had conversations with the family and, and had them share their personal stories um, has been a big deal. And this was actually the very first lighthouse that I did a quote-unquote investigation at before I ever knew what paranormal investigation was. Um, so this is the summer of... 2015, and the island is accessible out of ferry boat every day during the summer out of a small town called Leland. It has a historic fish town, so it's got all the historic shanties and big fishing area. So you take a two-hour trip out to South Manitou, and I was a guest of the Manitou Island Memorial Society, which preserves the island's historical sites and the national parks. And I got a chance to spend the night for two nights in the Coast Guard Life Saving Station, and the boat comes, brings people out about 11 a.m., and then everybody goes back at 4 in the afternoon unless you're camping remotely on the island. But we got to stay in the Coast Guard station. 
And so when the boat left at 4, 4.30, they go, they toss me the keys to the lighthouse and go, it's all yours. Lock it up when you're done. Oh, and yeah. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I have the keys to the lighthouse? Just the tower, not the house itself. Mm-hmm. So um, this is obviously early in the day sunset here at that time of year in Michigan was probably about 9.30 at night. So we, we settled it on the porch of the Coast Guard station. Had uh, We brought some bread and cheese and meats, and we sat out there and had a little picnic lunch. And then, I don't know, about 8.30, we said, okay, well, let's, let's head out to the lighthouse. So we walk, I don't know, uh, 50 yards, 100 yards maybe to the lighthouse, unlock the door. And the stories I've been told over the years were that the connection between the tower and the house, the causeway or the covered catwalk, I guess, was where they would hear most of the the voices, which was the um, stories that were attributed to this haunted light. So we go in and we sit at the landing. And if you've climbed a lighthouse, you know, taller lights have several landings as you go up the spiral stairs. This one, I think, had three before the top of the tower. So we go up and we sit there and we're listening. We sit there about half hour, 45 minutes, and we're waiting to hear voices or some kind of sounds. And we don't hear anything. So we make our way up to the next landing and the next landing and the next landing. We get to the top of the lighthouse. Um just before sunset, which is spectacular, because if you're at the top of a lighthouse in the middle of a Great Lake, you have 360 views to watch the sunset. So mm-hmm. we're sitting there, we're watching a few freighters go by, the sunset, and then the moon comes up. And it was the end of July, and I remember this because it was my daughter's birthday, and I got in trouble for missing her birthday by being <laughs> on the island. July 30th. And it was not only a full moon that night, it was a blue moon. So tell me, what is a better scenario for a haunted lighthouse experience than a blue moon, right? Oh, a second full moon better. of one month, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nada. Nada. Nothing. Oh, no. I mean, Except we went through two bottles of wine and still nothing, mm-hmm. right? It was it was such an experience, but but... Even though we didn't have any accounts to report on, the -hmm. fact that we had that opportunity to sit Mm -hmm. and watch the sunset, to watch the moon come out in an area where people just don't have that opportunity. I mean, many of these lighthouses in Michigan, you can tour during the day, but at 5 or 6 o'clock at night, they're closed. And you don't get to sit at the top of the tower. This Mm -hmm. one's 117 steps to the top. So it's a big one. one. Mm-hmm. And to have that experience and also to know members of the Sheridan family whose family members were keepers in the 1860s and 1870s before they died in a tragic shipwreck just off the coast of the lighthouse. Oh, wow. Um, and it's How their that? ghosts that are there and, oh and waiting for them to come out, even though we didn't meet them that night, to just mm-hmm. know that. The, the, some of the people I knew were great, great, great grandchildren of those lighthouse keepers. I think wow. that's one of the reasons it, to me is such a special lighthouse and the one mm-hmm. that really sticks in my mind as my, I guess, personal favorite. Mm-hmm. So how did they, so they died in a shipwreck off, right near, off the coast, right near this lighthouse. How did they happen to come to have that happen? What were they doing? So it's an interesting story um, because, you know, most they, they even had a Coast Guard life-saving station on this island. So in, right. in 1878, the island had about 200, 250 residents. It's about a two-hour ride from the mainland. And 
the Sheridans, Aaron Sheridan, who was a Civil War soldier, which was very common here in the Great Lakes region for veterans of the Civil War to become appointed as lighthouse keepers because they were all government jobs. Ah, so he comes okay. in with his wife, Julia, who is one of, recognized as one of our 50 or so female lighthouse keepers in Michigan, which is a whole other topic. Right. Um, but Aaron and Julia come in. They, sent, they work at this light. They have six sons, so they raise their family. And in March of 1878, they had to take a boat across to the mainland to, um, for, we really don't know the reason. It's not disclosed, but there's a couple of theories, one business-related, one more personal. On the return trip, the boat capsizes in bad weather, and Aaron, who had been injured and lost the use of one of his arms in the Civil War, was unable to save himself, his wife, Julia, and they had with them their nine-month-old son, Robert. So all three oh. died that day. Mm. Um, they were almost back to the the island, but the storm was so bad. Now, think of this. The boat went down on March 15th. Now, I don't know what March 15th, I think you guys are all in, in Texas, right? No, no. no. We're, in, we're in New England. New England. Okay, so you know... Um, Winter, right? Mm. Oh, Would yes. you take a sailboat <laughs> you know out what? on the water in middle of March? Yeah. It's, yeah. Not, no. It's, yeah. It could I mean, the Titanic, sank, <laughs> the Titanic sank the middle of April. Mm-hmm. So this okay. is a month before the Titanic went down. Mm-hmm. Taking a family with a baby mm-hmm. on a 25-foot open-aired Mackinac sailboat. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was the sailboat. I was wondering what type of I mean, boat it was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, you just think about it and go, that just was, I mean, I hate to say like, it, why? stupid. <laughs> like, stupid, right? Wow. Yeah. And, and, it, and, it, and it affected the whole Sheridan family. They had five sons uh, from four to 16, I think, left orphaned at this point. Oh. Yet one of their sons, or maybe two of them, actually went on to become lighthouse keepers themselves because mm-hmm. they felt, and we see this a lot in the lighthouse world, where the families step up. It's a family business. And if you've lost a loved one during Sorry. service, you have a mm-hmm. need to either become a lighthouse keeper to protect other people from dying out on the Great Lakes or to protect other members of the family from suffering the horrific tragedy of losing their loved ones in that way. Yeah. And I think that's what we had with, with um, George Sheridan, who became a lighthouse keeper himself, who ironically haunts another lighthouse in Lake Michigan. So family tradition, I don't know. Mm. That's pretty crazy. Do you have a grisly story about any of the lighthouses? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you looking for something dark and gory? Oh, God. Apparently so. Well, I am. <laughs> okay, so here's what we do. So... Um, most of our haunted stories are actually pretty mild. Um, many of the keepers who haunt their light. I know I'm breaking your heart here. They, Mm -hmm. they haunt it because, you know, they've either died there or they've served, you know, sometimes 40 plus years and that's the Mm -hmm. only life they know. So they continue to, to hang on at that lighthouse. But ironically, my next book is on Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers and Murder and Mayhem. Oh, and these, oh, these are keepers who died a little bit more tragically than just a boating accident. Like <laughs> they were murdered, they committed suicide, or perhaps we have no idea 
how their body ended up dead on a beach. <laughs> and <Okay>. so <laughs> uh, I'm actually finishing up this book, um, Great Lakes Lighthouse uh, Lighthouse Death, Murder and Mayhem, which will come out next March from uh, um, the History Press, uh, which will include several much darker stories, um, not necessarily yes. haunted-related, but um, definitely um, on the dark tourism realm. Uh, a lot of lighthouse keepers who died uh, of, from suicide. I mean, it's it's a very remote, desolate, lonely yes. job if you don't have family with you. Right. So we see a lot of keepers that, that just can't handle that remoteness and take their own lives. Um, we have a couple keepers uh, who whose bodies were found, and we think we know what happened to them. Perhaps they were murdered or there was a fire or some other situation, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of unsolved cases, as you would have from that. Um, so uh, I'm doing a little bit more research on that, that route. All right, those so will come we'll have to look forward the to that. Great Lakes uh, region. Well, actually, we'll probably have you back on, and then you can uh, <laughs> go into some I've of this. I've piqued your interest, haven't I? my interest i know that absolutely (laughs) well Uh. it's interesting because you know paranormal tourism is one sector of this umbrella dark tourism you know as i mentioned before people will travel to england to go to a jack the ripper tour or to go on these deep dark tours because we're fascinated with this history and uh the lighthouse world does not escape that no, we ha- we definitely have our share of uh, tragic tragic stories in, mm-hmm. in, in Lighthouse. I I have to say that um, I did an investigation of a lighthouse in, here in uh, uh, Massachusetts. Well, I think it's Massachusetts. I always forget that muddle. But anyways, it was Borden Light uh, Light Lighthouse, and the the gentleman that owned it, I believe, bought a lighthouse in uh, Michigan. Nick Costad. I don't know if you know him. Nick, yes, Nick bought um, oh, Big Bay Point funny. Lighthouse, bed and breakfast, just north of Marquette. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, when I was writing my book, I emailed Nick, and he goes, "I've owned the light for ten days. Nothing has happened yet." <laughs> and, and ironically, like three months later, I was talking to a fellow lighthouse person. They're like, you need to call Nick back. He's met the ghost. Oh, and he has had several encounters um, with the ghost, uh, the lighthouse keeper there who hung himself uh, at, mm-hmm. on the property after his son died of, uh, sadly enough, you know, infection and gangrene back in the 18, early 1900s would kill a person. Okay. And uh, the keeper's son died of those injuries, and and he's been known. And it's funny because there's been three or four owners of this bed and breakfast since before Nick bought it, and they've all had encounters. But I just I vividly remember the email from him going, "I'm ten days on the job, haven't met the ghost yet, but yeah. clearly he's had several encounters with him since then." Oh, that's cool. Yeah, uh, small world, huh? Yep. Next time you see him, just tell him you spoke with Ron Kolick from the New England Ghost Project, and he'll know who I was. He allowed us I, to do it. I will definitely planet. send him uh, send him an email. I have not been back up to stay at the uh, at the inn since he's taken it over. He's. I hear that they have done major renovations and just really turned the place around. Yeah. And so I am super excited to go and check out what they've done there. And and maybe this time I will actually get a chance um, to meet the ghost of. Keith William Pryor, who was uh, the resident ghost at that light. 
Yeah, he did a beautiful job with uh, Borden Flats. He, uh, you know, he did a. He was living in it for a while. It was. Uh, it's a. It's a, a spark plug lighthouse, which is basically a steel tube uh, on a uh, cement platform. Yeah, but he made a wow. It was gorgeous when uh, when he got a hold of it and redid it. it was, but uh, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting investigation as well. So yeah. I well, I think what's what's great money. about Nick is that Nick is a lighthouse guy who bought a lighthouse that's a B and B instead of a B and B person who happens to buy one that's a lighthouse. Yeah. <laughs> and so he, that's true. he understands the the historical significance of the the lighthouse in general. And I think he's also involved with Spectacle Reef here in um, Lake Huron as well. Um, So he comes in in from a different angle and understands and appreciates the historical value of the lighthouse itself and then adds into it the bed and breakfast experience, where most of the previous owners have been bed and breakfast people or bed and breakfast guests who thought it'd be nice to own a B&B and didn't necessarily have that historical element. So I think it's going to be a really, really big benefit. And Big Bay is such a cool little, I mean, it's, I don't even know if it's a village. It's just this little bump in the, in uh-huh. Northern Lake, Lake uh, Upper Peninsula along Lake Superior, just outside of Marquette. They have, uh, just as a, a side note, if anybody goes up to visit Nick there at Big Bay, um, Henry Ford from Ford Motor Company used to own the town, and he used oh. it for a lot of his wood processing for the Woody, early Woody station wagons, mm-hmm. and yeah. he owned a hotel and a bunch of other stuff. But there was, also a, there was also a significant murder that took place in Big Bay in the 1950s after the lighthouse was used kind of, I think, for some type of military compound, and it was the subject of a book and a a movie with um, uh, who's the guy from It's a Wonderful Life? Oh, uh, know. Uh, oh, oh, now you did it to me. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know. We're all going to say the same thing. <laughs> um, but it's called Anatomy of a Murder, and there was a murder that took place at the bar in Big Bay. But the guy that was involved in the murder was compounding out at Big Bay Lighthouse, and oh. um, Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. There it is. Got it for us. Um, yeah. But it's a great old black and white said. movie that you can find <laughs> on cable every now and again. And it's set in Big Bay. And they actually had the trial in the UP. And so the the town has has some pretty interesting history for just this little blip on the map. Yeah. If you go up that way. Totally does. Wow. <laughs> it's so interesting because I was a paranormal guy uh, who fell in love with lighthouses so <laughs> it was, yeah, around uh, when i did the first investigation in 2005 of portsmouth harbor lighthouse that's when i fell in love with lighthouses and I've, I've investigated so many since then and i've raised so much money for their preservation as well so uh yeah i've become a lighthouse guy uh, <laughs> so yeah, they are, they are gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous, and, and and there's no experience experience like being in a lighthouse at certain times, especially at night. Oh, absolutely, so, and it, you know, I think that um, as I said at the beginning, you know, I think a lot of our, you know, our ghost stories, our, our spirits hang out at various structures, buildings, or whatnot for various reasons. There's tragedy, there's there's longevity, and I think the thing with the lighthouses, as I said before, was that, you know, this wasn't just a job. This was a calling. And 
after these folks have passed away, sometimes after 40 plus years of service, they don't want to leave. This is mm-hmm. their home. And, you know, we don't have any of the conjuring, uh, uh, Amityville, um, you know, poltergeist type activity at any of these lighthouses. They're simply just spirits, I think, who are so in love with the place where they were. Sorry for the motorcycle. Uh, They're so in love with the the life that they had that they don't know any other place to go. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what keeps them around. You know, if I, I don't know. I mean, if I'm going to haunt someplace after I pass, the lighthouse seems as good a place as any, right? Um, yeah. Those views, the history. You got I mean, lots of people it, coming to visit you all the time. Than, isn't that better than haunting a cemetery? Oh, yeah. Or, you know, you know, being stuck in an asylum, which is a whole another topic we can go yeah. to another time. <laughs> but you know, I guess if I if I had to come back and and live indefinitely, or you know, my spirit to be indefinitely anywhere, a lighthouse to me just seems a place of comfort. It's it was built for safety and for comfort, and I feel that that's why those folks are still there. That's why their spirits, even you know, if people died in shipwrecks and they come back. The lighthouses were built as a safety haven, and I think that's why they continue to hold on to so many of those spirits. Absolutely. So where can people uh, get your book about the lighthouses? Well, I make it really simple. They can go to mihauntedlighthouses.com. So we like to use my Michigan or MI for Michigan, mihauntedlighthouses.com. You can Uh buy the original book, which came out in 2019. And just last uh, month, a couple of weeks ago, the History Press released a children's version of the book. Oh, wow. readers about third, fourth, fifth grade. So you can also buy a copy of the children's book there. And then coming out next March, the, the Mayhem and Murder book will be also available go. on that website. And uh, I will sign all of them. So unlike buying from Amazon or other online places, uh, mm-hmm. when you buy direct, it's an autographed copy, and it actually contributes back to local economy as opposed to the cyber world that's out there. So I'd like yeah. to encourage people. Or if you go into your local bookstore, they can order it for you from oh, the nice. warehouse as well. And then that also contributes back to your local economy and to your local brick-and-mortar places. So I really try to encourage people whenever possible to support their local local bookstores. You can also get it at your local libraries. Um, so if you need to do it that way as well. Nice. Very nice. The name, of the book, name of the book is called Michigan's Haunted Lighthouses by Diana Higgs Stampfler. That's funny. They have a children's. I hope they don't have a children's version of the murder and mayhem, you know. I don't think they're going to go that far with that. But it's funny when I give presentations at libraries and stuff, there's a lot of kids that come in. Kids are really into the spooky stuff. And as I mentioned before, it's about 35% ghost story, 65% history, and none of the stories are gory or gruesome. Um, They're all just very, they're very pleasant spirits that we have at our lighthouses here in Michigan. So they're very family-friendly ghosts, I guess you would say. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. I mean, I know when, uh, you know, locally, like when Jeff Belanger comes uh, by, there's always a lot of kids 
in the audience, yeah. which I guess could be a little weird, but no, but if they're into the paranormal, the parents bring them along. It, you know, it's, there's nothing greater because when you have kids, they sit on the floor Indian style at the front of the room and their eyes just get really big when you start to tell these stories. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, if nothing else, it gets them interested in our maritime history and our general history for the state or any region that you're at. And I think anytime we can get the kids off the technology and into a room to listen to people talk or to pick up a book, we're winning at the end of the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's twice we've said the same thing at the exact same time. Uh oh. <laughs> you guys have bizarre. a ghost in there with you or what? <laughs> Jinx Jinx, you owe me a soda. Yeah, That's Coke. what we used to say to the kids. Yeah, that's what Either way. Always a Coke. Uh anyways, uh what was I oh I had a question to it, I just forgot it. No. Oh no. So so um Diana, you, you say you go around and you, you look, uh, you, you do uh, the tourist, uh, paranormal tourist thing. What are some of the places that you have visited? Oh, my goodness. So, well, when we travel outside of Michigan, it's funny. Everywhere we go, we always seek out, can we stay in a haunted hotel? Can we eat at a haunted restaurant? Where are the paranormal tours that we can go on? So we've done these um, kind of trips to Key West, Greece, Chicago, Oh, Greece. Um, nice. Door County, Wisconsin. I am sad to admit that we were supposed to come to the Boston area in August. Mm-hmm. Our destination was originally Salem, Massachusetts, and I'm sure yes. that you are well aware of what that means. Um, right. But uh, we just put an offer on a house, and we're going to have to move that week. So we're going to have to postpone that trip to next summer. But we will be there. But we will, on that trip, be visiting uh, places like the grave of Edgar Allan Poe, the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast, the Salem Witch mm-hmm. Trials, perhaps to the Amityville House in Long Island. Um, we Anywhere we go, we're always looking for those historic paranormal places um, to really elevate our experience and to learn the history of those areas. And I think just even even having those tours and encountering other people that are like-minded, um, I don't know, just, just adds to our travel experiences no matter where we go. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, Baltimore is very historic. If you're going to go look for the Poe grave and all that, you'll enjoy it. Oh, yeah. I think Bal- Baltimore and Boston were the, and Salem were the three cities in our whole destination where we said we need more than a day here. We need it three days. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. We, we now we've reallocated the trip to next summer, and we've gone from 11 days to 14 days. So I think it's going to be a better trip next year because we'll have a little bit more time to explore those areas. I also want to go to, I think it's in Baltimore where the the miniature crime scene, uh, are you familiar with these? These miniature crime scene dioramas? Yep. Some women actually started doing that. Hmm. Yeah. So they've been kind of closed down due to COVID, but they said, so I'm thinking next year if we come, we'll be definitely able to get in and see those. Uh, awesome. We have to wrap it up now. Um, we have been. Wait a minute. Is that okay? But it was two minutes to the bell or two minutes to the tunes. Now I'm confused. Well, we had two minutes from the pizza from uh, pizza from the dead. So <laughs> did you hear the bell? Yes. Oh, okay. We have 15 seconds left. <laughs> All right. So, anyways, we want to thank our guest today, who is uh, Diana Higgs Stampler. 
uh, author of Michigan's Haunted Lighthouses. And uh, we want to thank our sponsors, uh, Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrick Street, Methuen, Massachusetts, the Glant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts, and our very good friends on uh, Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. So until next week, uh, good night and God bless, and thank you so much, Diana. Thank you. Good night. Thanks, Diana. Thanks for listening, everybody. Goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.